Come on, Jesus. If you got a Bible, if you got a Bible, anybody got a Bible, a paper Bible in the house today? I, I love the phone Bible because it's super convenient, but I just like to underline. I like to write on pages. Anyone got a paper Bible? Yes. All right. Well, you're still holy, even if you don't. You're still great. But if you do, I want you to go with me. Let's go to John. Let's, let's go to John 21. John 21. And I want to title this message, God Still Wants You. Tell somebody next to you, God still wants you. Some of y'all are thinking about whether you still want them, but God still wants you. <laughs> Aren't you thankful that even when man doesn't want you, God still wants you? That even when the world might reject you, that Jesus still wants you. He still wants you. Tur turn to the other person you didn't choose to say it to at first and say, he wants you too. He wants you too. He wants you too. So John 21, and we'll start with verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened like this. Simon Peter... We all know who Simon Peter was. He was one of the most famous disciples, the man who would preach on Pentecost, also the man who cut off someone's ear. Everybody needs a friend that's willing to cut off someone's ear. They're with you, ride or die. They're like, I am so with you. But Peter was such a, um, he was such a relatable disciple. Anyone in the room that can relate to Peter? The rest of y'all, you just don't wanna admit it, but you can too. You might not have cut off an ear, but you've thought about it. You've thought about it. So Peter was there, and Thomas, also known as Didymus, and most of us in this room know Thomas as, what's the word that comes before Thomas? Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be called for the rest of your life, the one thing you missed it in? And they put it in front of your name. Every time they said your name, they said, there's, <laughs> there's, uh, there's impulsive Nancy. There's impatient Daniel. There's angry Paul. There's frustrated Frank, you know, <laughs> whatever. How, how would you like to be labeled for the rest of your life? The one time that you missed it. Thomas was always called doubting Thomas. And yet Jesus still wanted Thomas in his doubt. Peter was known as impulsive, impatient, angry, uh, an ear cutter, uh, a cussing fisherman, um, a betrayer, a, a liar, and yet Jesus still wanted Peter. Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee. It's interesting who Jesus chose to build the early church with. He chose a bunch of misfits, a bunch of people who would mess it up. The same men that would cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Their mere shadows would walk past people and their shadows would heal people. I mean, talk about, and like they did stuff that made them look like gods, but they were human. They were flesh, they were clay, like you and me. Just tell that person next to you, we're all clay. We're all clay, we're all clay. No matter how much power you walk in, you're still clay, you're still flesh, you're still Peter, you're still Nathaniel. The sons of Zebedee, the two other disciples were together. So these guys were together. And Peter said, I'm going out to fish. I love going fishing. 
My mom came by our house a week ago, and she said, I'm going fishing at the Cates' house. I'm going fishing at the Cates' pond, a family in our church. My mom loves going fishing, grew up going fishing with mom and dad, and, and uh, it was always fun just, you know, taking the worms out, messing with my older sister, Sarah and Ruthie. Sarah was up here leading worship earlier. Didn't she do a great job? I'm so thankful for my sister, Sarah. And growing up, we, we loved going fishing. There's nothing wrong with fishing. Fishing's amazing. But in this moment, Peter was going fishing because he didn't want to go back into ministry. He was going fishing because he felt like he wasn't worthy to go back to what he was doing prior. See, Peter had left the fishing business three years ago. When Jesus showed up on the shores of Galilee and said, drop your nets and come follow me, Peter did it. He didn't know in Luke chapter 5 what would be in front of him. He didn't know that on the other side of surrender and obedience, he was gonna live the greatest three years of his life learning and growing under the ministry and the anointing of the greatest preacher that would ever walk the earth, the greatest pastor, the greatest healer. And, and Peter lived with Jesus for three years and then Jesus died. And Peter didn't want him to do that. In fact, Peter said, don't you dare go to the cross. And Jesus rebuked Peter. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. How would you like, how would you like, like Peter would be called a great name in one moment and then 10 minutes later, he'd be called Satan by the same man who anointed him and appointed him and loved him. And, uh, and you know someone loves you. Jesus loved Peter so much that even after he rebuked him, he said, I'm praying for you, Peter. I'm praying for you because you're gonna miss it. You're going to preach great sermons, but you're going to miss it. And you're going to need to know that I still want you even on your worst day, that I still have a plan for you. Even when you don't have a plan for yourself, I still have a calling on your life. I'm so glad that the calling of God is not just for the qualified people, but it's for the unqualified people. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls. And if you wonder if that's theologically correct, look from Genesis chapter one all the way to the end of Revelation because every person God used was unqualified in the eyes of man and in the eyes of themselves, but in the eyes of God, he chooses the foolish things of this world. He chooses the weak things of this world. He chooses the discarded things of this world. Come on, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you. There's hope for your husband. There's hope for your wife. There's hope for your daughter. There's hope for your dad. There's hope for your ex. You said, hold up. No, I'm not amen in that right there. There's some people that we've pushed out and God says, I still want them. I still want him. I still want her. I still want them. The thing I love about the resurrection is that Jesus doesn't immediately ascend into heaven. He takes time specifically with a few people that need to know where they stand with Jesus. So last week we celebrated the resurrection. We watched the ascension on this stage. How many of y'all got to see Jesus go up into you know, our son, Mac, who's three years old, he was over there on the side, and he, he was looking up at the top of the room, and he goes, is heaven up there? He's like, that's heaven. He's like, I knew, I knew heaven was in victory. You know, he, he's convinced. So he, after, this, after the show, he walks back over here, and he's just looking up here. Because he's convinced that Jesus went up to heaven through our building, that our building has a portal where you can go up... So when you're ready for rapture, just come stand back here and we'll get you 
hooked up and take you up to heaven. Mac was like, I want to go see Papa Joe. I want to see Gigi. And in his mind, everyone who's in heaven just walks to the back of Victory Stage. And that's where, come on, that's the other side right there. Um, so anyways, where are we at? All right, so Peter says, I'm going to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. Let's go back to the thing we were doing before, before those three years of incredible ministry. Let's go back to life before Jesus. Let's go back to business before Jesus. Let's go back to the thing we used to find fulfillment in before Jesus. Let's go back to how we used to make money before Jesus. Let's go back to how we used to get by. Let's go back. Let's see, fishing for Peter was self-medication. It was how he dealt with depression. It was how he dealt with discouragement. It was how he dealt with the frustrations of life. Everybody has something that they do, a hobby they do, to deal with the things that aren't right. And if you, if, if you don't find it in Jesus, you start finding it in other things, things that may not even be bad, things like fishing, things like working, and just showing up to work early, staying late, because it's easier to work than it is to go home and deal with the loneliness. Or it's easier to drink, or it's easier to, to do something, or look at something, or go somewhere. Or for Peter, it was just going back to the boat. It's easier for me to just go back to what I was doing prior to Jesus and forget the season that ever happened. Forget that anything good ever happened. So they all go out together, but they couldn't catch anything. Isn't that like God to let you do what you wanna do and then to allow you to feel the emptiness that's within the thing you thought was going to fulfill you? That he's such a gentleman, he won't force it on you, but he'll allow you to make decisions to hit the bottom of the barrel. And so here they are, they're down to nothing. When you're down to nothing, God's up to something. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. It's like he was waiting. He was watching. He was watching them toil through the night. He was watching them come up empty through the night. He was watching them feel discouraged, depleted, disillusioned, and he didn't say a word. He's just watching. He's watching. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not there. He's waiting for you to listen up to him. He's waiting for you to realize that whatever it is you're walking through, he's the only cure. He's the only answer to help you through that pain. They didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and then you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way, that's John who was writing this book. Don't you just love that John just puts, puts that in there? He's like, let's call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Let's call Peter, you know, the cussing Peter. And let's call me, AKA, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> I love the fleshliness of the disciples. They're so relatable. They all got their own issues. And here John is, he's like, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, <laughs> it is the Lord. As soon as, you know, John was the hero of the story. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. I love Peter's passion. His passion got him in trouble, but his passion also got him closer to Jesus. He found a way to channel his passion in the right, right way. 
Don't squash someone's passion. Just find a way to channel their passion. You know, I look at each of our kids and I realize they all have unique gifts and they all have unique personalities and some of their personalities have pros and cons, just like me, just like you. And rather than squash a kid's personality, we've gotta learn to stir up that passion, that excitement towards the right direction. So Peter starts swimming towards Jesus, full speed ahead. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards away. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning with coals, with fish on it, and some bread. You've heard about the Last Supper. Well, this was the last breakfast. This was breakfast on the beach. This was breakfast with Jesus. I think Jesus wants to have breakfast with some of y'all this morning. He wants to take you to Neighborhood Jam. He wants to take you to First Watch, rest in peace. He wants to take you to whatever your favorite breakfast place is, Scramble, wherever you go. He wants to sit down with you and he wants to restore you and he wants to remind you that he wants you, that he's for you, that he rose from the grave and before he goes up to heaven, he has one final message for Peter. But not just for Peter. It's one final message for anyone in the room who wonders like Peter, do you still want me? Do you still love me? Do you still like me? Do you still have a plan for me? And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you just caught. And Peter climbed back into the boat. The fact that Jesus was talking to Peter, the fact that they were on talking terms, the fact that Jesus invited Peter to have breakfast for him, gave Peter so much strength, so much excitement, that what took six disciples pulling on a boat that they couldn't even pull it in only took one man. Peter was filled with so much strength. When you have a revelation of God's love, you get extra strength. Peter dragged the net ashore, 153 large fish. These weren't small little fish. These were big fish. And this man is filled with so much strength. Just get a picture in your mind. Close your eyes. Just imagine Peter carrying this large net of 153 fish, and he carries it all by himself. Where does he get this power from? He gets it from the love of God. You will be filled with power. You will be filled with power. The love of God empowers you. The grace of God is empowerment to do what he's called you to do. See, Peter was showing a, a visual image, carrying that large net of fish, of what he was about to do in 50 days. He was about to bring a large net of 5,000 brand new believers on Pentecost. See, Peter didn't realize that Jesus was restoring him. Jesus was speaking to his potential. When you've canceled yourself, Jesus calls you in. When the world disqualifies you, Jesus speaks a bigger message of hope. The cross has the final word. The blood of Jesus is stronger than your sin, stronger than your shame, stronger than your guilt and you need to know why Peter felt this way because Peter had been told he was going to miss it in fact Lord I just pray right now God that you would speak to us in this message God show us the power of your love show us the power of your grace the power of your forgiveness that you are rich in mercy God that you're your love here today extends not just to the people in this room and the people watching online, but to every single person who calls on your name. And God, remind us of the results of resurrection. Remind us, God, that you died on the cross, you rose from the grave, 
And before you went up to heaven, you had breakfast on the beach. And you spoke a message, not just for Peter, but for all of us here today, that you still want us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll call you back in just a moment, Carlos. I want to just give some backstory to why Peter needed to have this encounter with Jesus. Let's go to Mark 14, verse 28. Mark 14, verse 28. Are you guys okay if we get in the word today? Come on. So I got a lot of scripture for you. But it says Jesus was speaking to his disciples before he went to the cross. He says, after I have risen from the dead, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus said, I'm going to meet you on the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to meet you in Galilee in just a little bit. You're going to walk through some things that are painful, that are troubling, that are confusing, that are discouraging, that are disappointing. But you won't have the power of the ministry I've called you to walk in until you've walked through the crucifixion that I'm about to go through. See, these disciples didn't want Jesus to go through the pain of Jerusalem. But Jesus knew the only way to get to the other side of the anointing and the Holy Spirit and the church and the gates of hell not prevailing against the church was to go through the cross. So he tells his disciples, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to stay in a tomb. I'm going to raise from the dead. And when I raise from the dead, I'm going before you. I'm so thankful for a God who goes before me, a God who meets me, a God who has gone ahead of me, a God who's behind me. How many are thankful for the goodness of God that's already gone in front of you? But Peter didn't understand. And he says, even if all fall away, I will not. I swear I will not fall away. Be careful swearing what you will not do. Be careful thinking that you're above missing it like someone else. Because typically, pride leads to a fall. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Jesus didn't say this to any other disciple except Peter. He didn't say this to Nathaniel. He didn't say it to James. Didn't say it to John or Matthew or Mark. He said it just to Peter. Peter, everyone's going to run from me. Everyone's going to betray me. Everyone's going to disown me. But you are going to do it three times tonight. I can forgive you if you do something once wrong to me. If you do it twice, I'm going to, I'm going to work on forgiving you. Three times, three times. Peter was going to do something three times in the same category that was extremely hurtful to Jesus. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Now, let's skip ahead. In verse 68, we'll, we'll start with verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. This was the same night that Jesus was taken because of the betrayal of Judas. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus. You also were one of the disciples. We saw you there. But Peter lied. He denied it. I don't know or understand what you're even talking about. And he went out into the entryway. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. He spent three years, the best three years of his life, and he wants to pretend like he didn't even know this guy. 
And then the servant girl saw him there. She said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, Peter lied and he denied it. And after a little while longer, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Show me your best rooster crow this morning. Come on, that sounded good. When the rooster crowed, I've been practicing it since last night. Stood in front of the mirror and just practiced my rooster crow for you guys. When the rooster crow, y'all, y'all act so holy and so like, per, like, listen, all of us have heard the rooster crow at some point. All of us have stood in front of the mirror and practiced the rooster crow. We've all practiced something embarrassing, but you know, it's interesting that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four guys who write about the story of Jesus, they all talk about Peter's failures. They all make sure to mention not just one, but every single time that Peter missed it, it's in there. It's like, thanks, guys. You, know? <laughs> you could have wrote about yourself here too, Mark. You could have wrote about yourself here, Matthew. But they make sure to talk about Peter. How would you like it if your mistake was written on the front page of the newspaper? Not just one, but two, three. How would you feel? See, it's easy for us to look at Peter and, and, and forgive him and judge him because he's dead and we, you know, we know he's forgiven and he's preached a great sermon. But when you're alive, when you're walking through this, see, Peter was walking through this surrounded by his disciples and shame had gripped Peter. When Peter heard that rooster crow, he knew that Jesus' words in front of all the disciples had come to pass. Not only did he fail Jesus, he failed his disciples. He failed God, he failed himself. Immediately when the rooster crowed in verse 72, Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. The enemy whispers two lies to disciples. The enemy whispers two lies to followers of Jesus. We're not talking about someone who didn't follow Jesus. We're not talking about someone who's never known Jesus. We're talking about a church guy. We're talking about a man who was known as an elder and a leader in the church. And the enemy always whispers to believers, you think just because you're saved, you escape the accusation of the enemy, the whispers of the enemy? No, he's right there. In fact, that same night, two guys missed it big time, Judas and Peter, and they both handled their shame differently. For one man, his shame led him to a place of utter disappointment in himself, discouragement, disqualified, he's unworthy, he's not good enough, and he hangs his head right there. For the other man, the shame is so unbearable, he cannot get rid of the shame, so he gets rid of his own life. The ultimate act of shame is suicide. The ultimate act of feeling like you missed it is to end your life, and I don't know who I'm speaking to right now, but your life is worth living no matter how bad you've missed it, God is not finished with you yet. If there's breath in your lungs, don't you dare quit, sir. Don't you dare pull that trigger. You got a calling on your life. I got a front row seat for you, man. Whoever you are that's dealing with shame, Victory Church is open for you. And there's a spot for you. 
Let us always be the church that welcomes back Peter, that welcomes back Thomas, that welcomes back the Apostle Paul, that welcomes back you, because this is the heart of God. This is the tender compassion of Jesus. This is the place where heaven invades earth, not when we earn his love, but when his love reaches in our ugliest, darkest moments and says, I still want you. I still want your son. I still want your daughter. I still want your husband, your wife, even your ex, even the people that you've canceled. God says, I still want them. It's the heartbeat of God. People, 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 Peter, Paul, Antonio, Daniel, Ashley, John, Sharon, Iru, Billy Joe. God's heart beats for people. It beats for you. It beats for your family, your parents, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren. This is the gospel, the good news. So here Peter is dealing with shame. And the blood of Jesus is stronger than the blood of Judas. The blood of Jesus is stronger than the, the, the crow of the rooster. The blood of Jesus is stronger than that sense of shame. But the enemy whispers, shame, shame on you, shame on you. Shame on you. Here's what shame does. Shame stops you from living your best days. Shame stops you from living your best life. Shame keeps you living with your head down, losing your confidence, losing your sense of momentum. Shame keeps you from pursuing your dreams. Shame keeps you in a prison of feeling like you're never worthy and you always have to own your flaws and your faults, and you're always going to be held under the captivity of your guilt. See, guilt says, I did something wrong, but shame says, I am wrong. Guilt says, I did something I shouldn't have done, but shame says, I'm never going to be good enough. Shame keeps us in a paralyzed state. In Zechariah 3, verse 1, it says that when Joshua was standing before the high priest, that the accuser of the brethren stood making accusations against Joshua. He showed me Joshua. Look at this in Zechariah 3, verse 1. This is an interesting Old Testament scripture. Long after Joshua has died, it says this. He showed me Joshua. So he's getting a vision. Zechariah is getting a vision of a mighty man of God standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The accuser constantly. I need just help for a second. Um, Pastor Ty, will you stand here? And I want you to just point your finger at me. All right, so here Joshua is, and Satan is standing at his right side, right side, yeah, and he's pointing at him. And here Joshua is trying to be a mighty man of God, trying to follow after God. Zachariah's getting this vision, the accuser, just pointing, pointing. But look at verse two, it says, then the Lord said to Satan, Tim, will you stand up here? Just be the Lord for a second. Come and stand between me and the accuser. The Lord points a finger back at Satan and says, rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? See, the blood of Jesus stands between you and the accuser. What Peter needed to know when that rooster was crowing, the rooster was pointing the finger at Peter. Shame on you, Peter. Shame on you. 
But the Lord was standing in front of the rooster. The Lord had already gone ahead of you into Galilee. The blood of Jesus is stronger than the accusation, than the crow of a rooster. It says in verse 3 of Zechariah 3, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes. This is us in our own sin. This is us in our own self-righteousness. Our self-righteous acts are filthy rags. But the angel of the Lord stands before you and the accuser. The angel of the Lord stands between you and what you think you're unworthy of. And in verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua in verse 4, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. This is what the blood of Jesus does. He covers you in the righteousness of God. He covers you from what the enemy has tried to bring against you. How many are thankful for the blood of Jesus, for your family, for your son, for yourself? Where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without his grace? And yet Peter knew this. He had heard the sermon. He had heard about forgiveness 70 times 7. He had heard about mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Peter knew about these things. And he says, I'm going back to the fishing boat. Because it works for others, but it won't work for me. It's going to be there for others, but it won't be there for me. And Peter hangs himself, not like Judas. Judas ends his life, but Peter ends his own sense of purpose. Peter stays in this place of shame, in the prison of guilt and anger. This morning, I woke up at 6 a.m., and I heard our kids crying and screaming out in the living room, and I went out there, and Benny was laying on the floor, and he was going, oh, it's all Liam's fault. <laughs> so I come out there, you know, Benny's crying and screaming, and I said, Benny, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, I'm all right. You know, and then he's kind of limp, and he's like, it's all Liam's fault. And Liam goes, that's not true. That's not true. It's not my fault. It's Benny's fault. And I said, what happened? And Benny goes, he kicked me. He, he pushed me. He pinched me. And Liam goes, nope, he kicked me first. He hit me first. And Benny goes, he took my bug. He took my bug from me, you know. And Benny was like, I got this bug from Ryan Edwards. Ryan is a member of our church. He's just giving out bugs to our kids. And... Um, <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> and uh, Liam goes, the bug was for both of us. And Benny goes, no, you know he gave it to me. That was my bug. <laughs> I said, boys, boys. And I said, Liam, did you hurt Benny? Did Benny hurt you or did you hurt Benny? And Liam's you know, head kind of got low and he said, I hurt Benny. And I said, well, let's go outside. Let's go talk about it. So we go sit down, and Benny's just watching through the window, just wants to know how bad I'm going to punish the sinner, you know. Like, what are we going to do to the sinner? We get so excited to watch how God punishes a sinner. And I'm so thankful that when Jesus has a conversation with Peter, he doesn't do it in front of 120 people. Like, it's just him and Peter on a beach. Because real restoration, real grace... It's so sweet, it's so tender, it's so special between a father and a son. I don't let my sons come in and watch when one of the other sons is getting disciplined. It's just between me and Liam, or me and Benny, or me and Mac most of the time. <laughs> so I'm sitting there with Liam, I said, Benny, go away. This is just me and Liam. I closed the doors. I said, Liam, what's going on? And he said, I'm sorry, Daddy. 
I'm sorry. I said, I forgive you. We all need forgiveness. How many of you, you know, I look at the room and y'all are looking at me like, man, this guy has bad kids. <laughs> I actually have great kids, but they're just kids. They're human, right? How many of you guys have kids that have missed it? How many of you have a kid that's lied before? Okay, hands go down. I cheated, stolen, not shared their toys. You're like, okay, that's an easier sin. I could admit to that one. We all have kids that have messed up. And when your kids mess up, do you go, I'm putting these kids up for adoption. I am done with these kids. How, can you imagine if I would have said that to Liam, like, hey, we're putting you up for adoption. You just, you know, this, you crossed the line. You're no longer a part of the family. No, we love our kids. In fact, when they miss it, I get closer to them. There's something about their, their, their shame that makes me wanna be close to them. Like, there's something about the embarrassment of feeling like they missed it that makes me just wanna be like, hey, let's talk, man. Let's talk. Are you all right? Are you okay? And I'm not even a great dad. Like, I'm trying my best. But we have a Father in heaven that is so much better than any of us dads here on earth. Because we get angry, we miss it, we're impatient. But he is rich in mercy. His love is patient with us. He's got long-suffering. Can you imagine our Father in heaven just sitting down with each of us like he sat with Peter on the beach? Just saying, come on, Peter. Come on, come have breakfast with me. And here I was, I was sitting with Liam, and Liam, I said, what's going on? He said, I just want to spend more time with you, Daddy. I said, we've been spending a lot of time together. You know, I start becoming defensive. I'm like, I've been spending a lot of time with you. We just got done taking a long break, spending a lot of time with you. And he said, I know, but you guys send me to school. <laughs> now I know where he's going with this. He's like, you know, I got to go to school every day. And he's like, why can't you guys just not send me to school? And I just, I'm with you 24-7. And I was like, no, we need, we need that, we need that space, you know? <laughs> like, I'm with you right after school. I love you so much. How many of you are thankful? Just, you know, you guys, don't, all right, don't judge me for that. Listen, I love, I love, I love it. But, you know, I, I've taken him to school, picking him up from school, hanging out with him at night, laying him down for bed. And, we're laying, and I go, Liam, I love you, man. You still got to go to school, though. And um, he's like, okay, you know, all right. And I said, you know I forgive you, right? And I said, you know Benny forgives you, right? And he said, yeah, I think so. I said, he does. And I think this is where shame keeps us in this place where we think we can't be forgiven. It keeps us in this place of distancing ourselves from people who wanna bring healing and bring love. And so we push people away and the enemy whispers on top of the shame, fear. The fear of rejection, the fear, the fear of failure, the fear of not ever being good enough, the fear of constantly feeling like you're never gonna be enough or have enough. And the enemy keeps whispering these things. But the, the way that we overcome shame and fear is through grace and faith. Grace is the antidote to shame, and faith is the antidote to fear. And both of those words appear in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So if I'm going to walk in victory over shame and fear, I have to receive the grace of God through my faith in Jesus Christ. When I put my faith in him, I want the band to come out. 
That's when I can receive the grace that he has. That's when I can receive the healing that he wants to bring. That's when I can get, get out of the prison of shame. And here Peter is wondering, can God still use me? So he says, go tell the disciples and tell Peter. In order to overcome shame, we have to have an antidote to shame. The antidote, the cure to shame is grace. It's grace. It's not, to overcome shame, you can't, you cannot overcome it with your good works. If I could beat shame by being good enough, then I wouldn't need a savior. I wouldn't need Jesus. And by the way, we're talking about shameful disciples. We're not talking about shameful unfollowers of Jesus. We're talking about guys who followed Jesus. See, we, we make this promise. We go, once you say that you're going to follow Jesus, life is wonderful. You're supposed to be perfect. You're supposed to be the most sanctified believers out there. And we forget that people like Peter who followed Jesus for three years still miss it. And we need to remember that even as followers of Jesus, we can be used to do great miracles, signs and wonders, but we must not deify humans. Let's not put any Peters on a pedestal. Let's remind ourselves that we all are in need of the constant grace and mercies that are new every morning that God offers to disciples, not just far off people who've never heard about Jesus. See, the hero of the story is not Peter. The hero of the story is not Thomas. The hero of the story is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It's not that Peter was so great. It's that Peter needed someone who was greater than him. Peter wanted to be great. He wanted to prove to Jesus, I'm a super apostle. I'll never sin. I'll never deny you. I know I cussed a couple times, been the last chapter, but this time I'm perfect. I know I cut a dude's ear off, but this time I'm gonna be great. And Jesus says, I don't need you to be great. I just need you to be surrendered. I just need you to know that I'm praying for you. I just need you to know that even when you miss it, come back to the throne room of God's grace. I just need you to know that you're not always going to get it right, Peter, but you're going to do great things for God. I'm so thankful that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies those he calls. So he says, Peter, I came to have breakfast with you today. Come and sit with me on the beach. So Peter comes next to the fire. The last time Peter was warming himself by a fire, it was when he was denying Jesus. It was when he was cursing. It was when he heard the, the rooster crow. The crow of shame. The two lies the enemy whispers is shame and fear. Shame paralyzes us and then fear keeps us in bondage. But perfect love casts out all fear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So the victory over fear is faith. The victory over shame is grace. Once we receive the grace of God, we put our faith in him. We put our faith in his nature and his character and his love for us. Not only do we receive grace, but we receive love. And then we treat our children the way that he treats us. Instead of pushing kids away when they miss it, we pull them in closer. Instead of kicking people to the curb like religion does, 
we understand the gentleness of our Christ, the gentle compassion and mercies of our Savior. And so now we start raising up generations who actually want to stay in church, not because they were told that they were wrong, but they were told that they are accepted, loved, forgiven, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There's still a seat for you, Peter. There's still a place for you, Thomas. There's still a place for you. And so Jesus says, Peter, I still want you. Let's have breakfast. Bring some of that fish you just caught. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast with me in verse 12. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? He looked different, right? Because when you've gone through the crucifixion, you look different. Even though he was a risen savior, he didn't look the same that he looked a few weeks before this. Jesus came and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I cut a dude's ear off for you. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Again, a second time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I'm sorry, you know I love you. I'm sorry I missed it. You know I love you. Jesus says, no, no, no. Just feed my sheep. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I don't need your apology. I need you to feed my sheep. I don't need you to keep walking in shame, Peter. I've already forgiven you. I need you to stop going back to the fishing boat. I need you to stop carrying your head so low as if you are no longer worthy to be called one of my disciples. I need you to feed my sheep. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because Peter disowned him three times. Jesus was going to restore him like a professional counselor. He was going to go right to the heart of the matter. It was surgery. Three times Jesus was going to get Peter to realize you're forgiven and you're empowered. You're forgiven and you're empowered. You're forgiven and you're empowered. You're redeemed and you have a purpose. You have sheep that are waiting for you. You're not going to be the perfect shepherd. You're going to point them to the perfect shepherd. You're going to be a sheepy shepherd yourself because just like you wandered off and I pulled you back in, you're going to pull other people who've wandered off back in. And I'm sending you out, Peter. And the third time, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter cried this time. He was hurt. He said, of course, you know all things about me. You know the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Follow after me. I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. Jesus is calling out to you. And he's speaking to those wounds in your heart. He's speaking to the shame in your heart. He's speaking to the fear in your heart. He's speaking a louder message of hope. The blood of Jesus is stronger than the blood of Judas. The blood of Jesus is stronger than the shame you, you've walked through. The blood of Jesus crows louder than the rooster. The blood of Jesus is stronger than your sense of failure, stronger than your feelings of disqualification. Jesus speaks to your soul, and he says, feed my sheep. I love you, Peter. I love you. Even when you don't love yourself, Satan came to strip you of all confidence, all power and authority. I want to read one last scripture to you. 
I didn't get to, I, I have too many pages in here. I got to three of them. There's about 10 in here, but I want to read this scripture to you. First John three, verse 19, as you're standing. First John three, verse 19. And if they get it up there, there, there it is. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. I want to just stop right there. The heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. We say, follow your heart, follow your heart. Your heart's going to trip you up. Your heart's going to convince you of feelings of shame that aren't from God. Your hearts are going to convince you sometimes of condemnation. And it'll keep you in a place of distance from God. But God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart, Peter. God is greater than your heart, Thomas. God is greater than your heart. We need to know today that even though our hearts might convince us that we're condemned, there is one who speaks louder than our heart. There is one who speaks a greater message than the message of your own heart. And he knows everything. He knows, just like I held my son Liam today, I knew where Liam was at, and I knew that Liam just needed to know his father loves him. His father, even though I discipline him, a true father who disciplines his kids loves his kids, right? I love my kids. I'm not putting them up for adoption. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So this is, again, when we're living in condemnation, we don't walk in confidence. But once we receive the message of Christ, once we receive the message of the resurrection power of Jesus over our failures, not only can we come into his throne room with grace or in confidence to receive grace, we can begin to walk out our purpose with confidence. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes here right now. Maybe the enemy has been coming after your confidence. Maybe the enemy has been coming after your clarity. Maybe the enemy has been coming after your heart, stirring up fear, shame, condemnation, guilt, a sense of unworthiness, a sense of anger, a sense of frustration at God, disappointment in yourself. Maybe you're here today and there's people in your life that you've written off. And today the message is not just for you, it's for that person that you've written off. It's for that lost person that you've said they're a lost cause. There's no hope for them. God says, no, I still want them. I still have a message for them. Even after the rooster crows, I still have a message for them. He's calling out to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, I just pray for a, Lord God, a blanket of your mercy and grace just to settle over this entire service right now and over those that are watching online. Lord, I pray, God, for the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, the ministry of reconciliation, the same ministry you were releasing in Peter, God, that you're releasing in this house. For every person who feels lost, for every person who feels confused, for every person who feels ashamed, for every person who feels unworthy, God, we all need your grace. Lord, you know I need your mercy and grace so much on a daily basis. You know, God, that I fall short and I need your grace. And God, I ask you today, Lord, not with the sense of discouragement or disappointment with my head down, but Lord, with my head up, like you said in Hebrews 4, verse 16, coming boldly into your presence, coming boldly into your church, coming boldly, because that's what you've called us to do. 
to receive grace in our time of need. Lord, I pray for every man, every woman who can hear the sound of my voice that needs mercy and grace, that needs to know that you have fresh strength for them, that needs to know that not only do you want them, but you're not finished with them yet. Lord, that they would find that today, that they would receive that today. If you need grace today, I want you to just raise your hand all over this room. If you need grace for your family, grace for your own life, if you need mercy today, if you need restoration today, if you need forgiveness today, if you just need to know that God is not finished with you yet, from the back row to the front row, if you need it, I want you to leave your seat. Come and find a place at this altar. Come on, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are thirsty for the rain. Lord, I want the rain of your goodness. I want the rain of your presence. I want the rain of your purity. I want the rain of your righteousness. I want the rain that washes away the accusations of the enemy, the condemnation in my heart, the guilt, the fear, the shame, the confusion. Lord, I want your rain. Lord, pour it out on me this morning. He says, let us come boldly into the throne room of God's grace to find mercy in our time of need. Let us come into the throne room of God's grace when we need it the most. And he says, when you come, come with your head up. Don't come in shame. Don't come in guilt. Don't come condemned, but come boldly into his throne room. Come boldly into his throne room, Peter. Come as you are with your scars. Come as you are with your mistakes and your mess ups. Come as you are and receive grace, receive healing, receive hope, receive salvation, receive freedom, receive deliverance, receive favor. Let's just begin to worship. Let's just begin to lift our voices, lift our hands. He wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to
12, he said, I tried to get to a place where I didn't feel weak, where I didn't feel needy. I pleaded with God three times to take away a thorn that was in my flesh. But then he said these words, he said, but the Lord spoke to me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for the thorn in your flesh, for the gap, for the scar, for the holes in your hands. My grace is sufficient for you. For when we are weak, his strength is made perfect. See, Peter was not a rock because he was a hero. The only way that we're strong is in the strength of God. We're not the hero of the story. We're not the savior. It's the grace of God that saves us. He said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. My strength is made perfect in your shortcomings, Paul. The anointing doesn't flow because of your goodness. It flows because of his goodness, his mercy. The rain flows because of his favor, his kindness, his unmerited goodness in our lives. And then Paul says, so I boast in my weakness and I delight in my hardships, in my suffering because God's work is strong in me. His work is strong in us this morning. He sees you. He loves you. 1 John 3 says this, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Even when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Even when your heart, and our hearts are deceived. Our hearts can oftentimes be deceived by our own thoughts and feelings. That's why it's important to always bring our hearts to the cross to God. But he says, even if your heart is, is condemning you, the Lord is stronger than your heart. God is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. And then it says in Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us come boldly to his throne room of grace. I just feel like God wants to do a work in our hearts this morning. I want us just to worship just for a little bit longer. I know we're here a little bit longer today, but I feel like there's a rain that God wants to bring in this place. He wants to touch every crack and crevice of every heart in this room all insecurity, all fear, all inferiority. Today, God says, I'm going to do a deep work in you. I'm doing heart surgery. I'm removing weeds that have grown up in the garden of your heart. I'm removing thorns. I'm pulling out stones. I'm rolling away the stone that's been placed over your heart. I'm doing a deep work. I want us just to keep our eyes closed. Just let the Holy Spirit begin to flow. Lamar, would you just lead us in worship right now? Let's just, yeah, allow God to just surround you right now. By the arms of the Father, I am surrounded by songs of delight. From our body. 
Lord, heal hearts, heal minds, heal marriages, heal families. Heal people that are here today, God, with terminal illness. Lord, I pray this would be a week of miracles. By the way, next week, we're starting a series on the book of Acts. And we're gonna go chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And it's the story of after the resurrection, how God launches this church that just begins to turn the world upside down. And I believe in the next coming weeks, during as we go through this series, I believe God wants to do miracles that will be similar to the same miracles that happened in that book, but in a fresh way in 2022. I feel like there's been a, a, a buildup, just like we saw this last week, for seven days, the clouds were heavy with rain. There wasn't a day in the last seven days that there was not an overcast amount of clouds, cumulus clouds, accumulating a preparation of rain. And I sense that the Lord has been accumulating like a cumulus cloud that he's about to pour out his rain, like Acts chapter two, Pentecost, where God's about to do something fresh in your life where the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, where the enemy sent a missile to try to end you. God's about to prepare you and launch you into your greatest season yet. You're about to step into your greatest momentum. Holy Spirit, pour your spirit out on this church, on our city, on our nation, God. Lord, revive what the enemy has tried to kill. Lord, restore what the enemy has tried to steal. Lord, redeem where the enemy has tried to come in like a flood. Bring your fresh rain. Bring your fresh rain, God. And launch people out, God, into the ministry you have for them. Lord, raise up fresh voices. Raise up, God, fresh movements. Raise up fresh dreams. Lord, let it be a springtime in the church, God, of new growth, fresh blooming, God. Just say this with me, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. I repent of my sin and I receive your forgiveness. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, I receive you. Fresh grace, grace upon grace. Power over the enemy, over sin, over darkness over defeat, I choose to walk in victory because I have Jesus inside me and my best days are in front of me and God is not finished with me yet. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, I love you. God loves you.